Let's just say that uh, you uh, discovered that uh, my family and I had no place for Thanksgiving uh, this week, and so you invited us over to your house. Now, first of all, that'd be pretty ambitious on your part because there's seven of us, but uh, that's okay. Lindley doesn't eat that much, and uh, so we show up, and uh, you've got the Thanksgiving turkey and dressing and cranberry sauce and deviled eggs, only you call them angel eggs because the pastor's over, and you've got rolls and, uh, you know, all that stuff, right? And then you pull out the dessert, and uh, I look at it, and I'm so pumped. It's got whipped cream on top, so I don't really care what's underneath, but I'm excited. And so I slice through my piece, right? And it is, it is what appears to be pecan pie, and I slice open that piece, and it just is, it's, it's unusual. It's unusual because it's fairly translucent. I can almost see right through it. It's just kind of bizarre. And then I realize, you know, I don't I want to be rude, but I think they forgot to put the pecans in this. Um, that would be a really significant faux pas, wouldn't it? I mean, it's no longer pecan pie without the pecans, right? Um, it's kind of like serving your kids macaroni and cheese without the cheese. They'd go, are you kidding me? Come on. Um, you know, tomorrow, Monday, our kids are going to be, what are they going to be doing? They're going to be going outside trying to play in what appears to be snow, but it's really ice and sleep. That's okay. They're going to go out and they're going to do it and they're going to have fun and they're going to come in, and what are they going to want? They're going to want hot chocolate. And if you give them water with nothing else in it, they're going to say there's a missing ingredient here. Where is the chocolate? And I believe that if we're not real careful, we can miss a key ingredient. And I'm not talking about this week. We're going to get it this week. We're going to get it done. Um, matter of fact, I would say this season we're good. I mean, when you look at Facebook, you see people who get this ingredient. They understand it. It's not only, not only has November been no shave November for lots of people, right? But it's also people are clicking this off every day. They're listing another one on there, right? And by the end of November, a list of 30 thankful thoughts. Good stuff. Good stuff. I really think we do a pretty good job in our corporate worship here. As a matter of fact, I was listening, listing some of those uh, worship uh, lyrics that we just sang to God, you know, and it's like, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I'm alive to live for me. We don't sing that, right? We've got it. We understand. A minute ago, we weren't singing, me, only me, right? We weren't. We understand. In our corporate worship, we get it, all right? Matter of fact, we get it this season. We get it on Facebook. We get it. I don't think that's really the issue. I think it has more to do with what happens outside of this room in the depths of our souls and our motivation and the choices that we make and the way that we relate to God throughout the course of an average day. Because if we're not careful, we can miss this key ingredient of thanksgiving. And I would suggest that one of the reasons why is because if we are not thankful people, here's why it's so important, we, we just can't afford to miss it, then we sever our ability to worship God. Now we're going to open up uh, a, uh, <laughs> a passage in just a second and read this, uh, these verses, but you know, I, I was thinking it was, it was kind of apropos that this occurred because in my mind it just kind of, wow, it was so poignant. Uh, uh, our students have been auditioning um, 
they've, they've been auditioning worship leaders for Sunday morning, for Wednesday night, for whatever. And so they've had several different college students, people in the area, you know, come and, and, and try out, right? And this one particular person about a month or so ago came to try out and they showed up and uh, what they were missing was their guitar. They had forgot, forgotten their guitar, which I would suggest that's probably not a good audition. Um, if, if that's if that's the main, the main piece, right? But I thought that was an interesting uh, just kind of thought in my mind about this whole concept because Thanksgiving is so very key because we, I mean, talk about missing the whole worship experience without the guitar, without the worship leader. Oh my goodness, whoa, wait a minute. You know, without Thanksgiving, our worship is severed. Why? Because thankfulness is a key ingredient to our worship. Out of thankfulness, I form a view of my understanding of who God is. Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Do you see it? It's our thankfulness that sets up our ability to worship God. Colossians three sixteen. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. And what are you doing all of that with? There's a clause there that it winds up kind of coming back on top of all of it and says, listen, what am I doing all of this with? I'm doing it all with gratitude in my heart. Psalm 103, 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Wow. That amazing psalm, that amazing worship song that that psalmist wrote, it began with a focus on all that God has done. And if we were to continue on in the chapter, what it does is it makes a switch and it moves from recognizing what he's done to recognizing who he is. And it begins to end by, even at the very end of Psalm 103, it says it's encouraging all of creation to worship the creator. I mean, this, this chapter, what, what a rich chapter it is soaking in gratitude for all that God has done and all that he is. I would say that if we are not thankful people, Scripture does not just suggest, it actually commands. It actually explicitly states our worship to God as we are designed to give is severed. And that should be enough right there because I want my heart to be connected to God. But number two, we end up rejecting God's plan for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 says, Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We've looked at this verse before, right? We, we, we understand this verse. As a matter of fact, we've talked about how so often you get around people who are like, I just don't understand God's will. What is God's will for me? What, what do I do? What, you know, what, what, what could God possibly want for me? I'm just trying to figure out God's will. And, and it just kind of makes me laugh because there, there are some verses like this one that actually explicitly state what God's will is. And this one right here is one of them. It says, give thanks in everything for this is God's will. Very clear term, terms. One telltale sign of whether I am walking in the will of God is, is thanksgiving at the core of who I am. 
I was thinking about uh, an aunt of my 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 my, sis, my, my mom's youngest sister um, had uh, was was diagnosed years ago with breast cancer. Uh, she had a double mastectomy and uh, and. Uh, and, and seemed to be going fairly well, and then they discovered that the breast cancer had metastasized into basically b- the bones all over her body. So she's got bone cancer just from literally from head to toe, from her from her skull all the way down into the lower extremities of her body. And uh, she's she's walking she's walked through chemo and radiation and and and, and just a, a variety of different things. Just you know, and, and and really, it's more maintenance. At this point, just trying to say, okay, God, we, we trust you. We don't understand. We're, we're, we're trying to do everything that we can. And she's taking a, a real expensive chemo pill right now to kind of get through. And here's what's crazy. I mention her to you because if you go to her Facebook page, it just drips of thankfulness. Almost every post that I see, I just see a really grateful heart. And it just takes me back to this passage where I don't think it was by accident that Paul wrote, give thanks in everything. Now, is everything perfect for her? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I was on the phone with my mom just a few nights ago. And I mean, she said, it was just over at the house with another one of her sisters. And I mean, she's just crying. I don't, I don't know how much longer I can do life like this. So are there ups and downs? Absolutely. And she's living that roller coaster. But I can tell you this, in the very center and core of who she is, she's thankful. And I just think, you know, I want to be that no matter what. Job here, job gone. Health here, health gone. Give, every, give thanks in everything. Because when it is then no matter the circumstances, I know my God is in control. Disease, death, devastating circumstances, I know he loves me. I know he is for me. I know his plans are best, certainly better than mine. I know he is working behind the scenes. I know he has given me this breath and this breath and this breath. And when all of these breaths are gone, I will see him face to face and spend eternity with him because I know that his son has saved me. I think what happens is maybe a better illustration of it are these balls. I pulled these balls out of our backyard. One of these balls I really don't even want to pick up. But um, (laughs) this right here is a good indication of why you really don't want to be living on the two-story house on the backside of us because you're looking down at this. Just saying. Um, but, uh, but here are two balls, and uh, I thought, you know what, this is a perfect illustration of our life, because you know what, we get all scarred up and nasty and gross, and you know, life just, wow, I mean, it just gets messy, right? It just gets messy. And I, I would say that the great thing about this ball is that it still works. Matter of fact, will you hit this back for me? Will you do it? Here we go. Hit that back to me. Oh, that was, that was so close to me, it wasn't even funny. Um, <laughs> But we, you know, we, uh, we, uh, we, uh, we are like that ball because we are so incredibly scarred up. We are, even as children, I mean, just people just 
rain on our parade, right? I mean, we're at the curb and mud just gets sloshed up on us by other people's circumstances. All of a sudden, boom, divorce happens. And now I'm a kid, right? And I mean, I'm trying to live through life. I mean, we see that repeated over and over and over again. And it just gets, I mean, life is messy just like this. But here's the beauty is what happens is God says, listen, inside of here, if I retain a thankful heart, then I'm still in play. I'm still living out his will for me. And, you know, the, the crazy thing about it is, really, it's just such a simple illustration, and yet it just makes so very much sense, at least in my little brain it does. And that is that whenever I am depleted of thanksgiving, and life has dealt all those blows to me, it's so much harder to be in the game. It's so much harder to be living in God's plan for my life. I would suggest, as Scripture mentions, it's actually impossible to be in His will, to be according to His plan for my life. If we are not thankful, not only do we reject God's plan for us, we also become futile and foolish. Look at Romans 1 here. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. I want you to key in on these two words here, right? Futile and foolish. If you were to kind of work the Greek on those two words, I I think that the Greek actually sheds even more light than what we understand those words to be in English. In the Greek, the word that he used there for futile was emateothesin. And it actually literally means to become worthless, purposeless, useless, ineffective, fruitless. You're thinking, that's what I want my life to be. No, that's not where we want to be. Foolish, the Greek word asintos, it's morally senseless. I am useless and senseless. Morally senseless. When I am without thanksgiving in the very core of who I am. When my heart is not fueled by a thankfulness for God, for who he is and what he's done, my life moves toward purposelessness. My life doesn't make sense. I've moved myself into a place of ineffectiveness, of fruitlessness. And then we come across people who are like, ah, being a Christian is boring. Yes. I would say by your definition of Christian, by the life that you've defined it to be, it certainly can be. If, that, if those are the words that God describes us when we have not a life of thanksgiving. Look at these words one more time in the HCSB. For, all, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped serving something created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. What is Romans 1 saying here? It's just kind of encapsulating really our story. Mankind's story that man knew God and that's clear and God made himself known to us, right? Right? 
so that we could know that he is here. And yet, when we chose not to honor him as God, instead of being thankful for all that he's given, man refused to do that and give him glory he deserves. And man was willing to use God's gifts, but not willing to worship and praise God. And then the ball became empty. And we become taken out of the game because the key ingredient to keeping it in the game is gone. When thankfulness is not present, I become useless. Thanklessness darkens my mind to God's desires and thoughts and plans for me. Impotent churches are filled with people still going through the motions, but lifeless because of thankless hearts lived out, living out severed lives of worship for our Savior. And I think it's easy to see, right? I mean, what, is, what does thankfulness do? It actually kicks out. It erases that prideful heart that just always seems to want to creep in. It moves me into this position of humility before God. And if I'm not in that position, if I'm, boy, if, 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 if I'm not on my own agenda and on his, then I'm doing his will. But if I'm on my own agenda, you know, if we, if we take it again, I mean, here's what it always comes back to me. And you know this, right? You know it always comes back to, to God and, and, and my family and, and, and this church and, and, and Baylor football. And if, if, I were to, um, if I were to just take it to, to the game that's going to happen in about an hour, you know, you, you, here's what's crazy. If Art Bryles sends those boys out there on the field and says, okay, everybody, go for it, for it with a game plan that's, that's just basically according to your own thoughts. Just do, do, do your own thing out there. We know what that's going to look like. Judges 21, 25 described how the Israelites lived that out when it said everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. That's a bad move. In case you've not seen this, can I just invite you the next time my four-year-old has a soccer game to come visit? Right? Because you see two teams of four-year-olds that are every man for themselves will define the game as we choose to. I have seen players on the same team tackle each other. From behind, pull them down, slam them onto the ground to get to the ball. I have seen them play on fields that were not even their field. My four-year-old, Shaylee, and she's going to hate me for saying this, so don't tell her that I said this, but her very first soccer game ever, ever, and she's 12 now, so she's gotten over it. Matter of fact, she won't even remember it unless you tell her, so don't tell her. She scored two goals her very first game ever in soccer. One was in the opposing team's net, and the other was in another field. She went all the way. I mean, she just kept, and we're like, Shaylee, and she's like, you know, playing according to her own. And you see, that's how we live when we don't have a heart of gratitude to God because the gratitude pushes out the humility, it pushes out the pride, and allows humility to come soak into who we are. So we make choices without including God and we allow the direction of our lives to become pointed toward the American dream instead of God's dream. And we begin to live out a life that sociologists Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist didn't define as moral therapeutic deism. They discovered this in the lives of teenagers several years ago and decided to write a paper on it. And I thought it was interesting because I think we can find this mindset in more than just teenage population. Moral therapeutic deism uh, believes this. We believe a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Okay, we're good so far. We believe God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. 
We believe the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself because really in the end, good people get to go to heaven when they die because God is good. We believe God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Now, is that stated on the doorpost of our home? No. Is it verbalized in our conversations at church? No, of course not. But it can so easily be lived out by our actions when we've allowed ourselves to be swept away by our own pride and we fail to live in humility and thankfulness before an awesome and a holy God. If we are not thankful people, our ability to worship God is severed. We end up rejecting God's plan for us. We live in futility and foolishness. And finally, Romans chapter 1 emphasizes that we turn our worship to other things, to other people. Romans 1, 23, And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is forever, who is praised forever. I, Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrased verse 25 this way. Listen. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at Canton. Well, no, he didn't say Canton. Um, at, <laughs> I'm sorry, Canton people. Uh, you can buy at any roadside stand. No thankfulness? What's the progression? Eyes begin to shift. Our lives begin to be used for purposes other than what we were created to do. And that always leads to emptiness. When people exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles, is what verse 23 says, they moved into what? They moved into idolatry. That's what Romans chapter 1 is describing. And we find in this passage that God's wrath then becomes revealed. Why? Because God no longer receives the glory that he deserved. Remember, we talked about this back, uh, let's see, last, this past summer. We're talking about the glory of God, and we talked about that word, right? About the, the, the word glory, it, 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 kabod. And we were talking about how this particular word actually has a very interesting thought behind it because what kabod actually is saying is there's a weightiness to something. That there's a, there's a measure of weightiness to the value of God. And something had weight in the Old Testament. It had worth or value. This is long before, actually, they were counting things out, right? The way that we understand coins to represent certain values. The value was in the actual weight. The glory of God is the measure of the weight or the worthiness of God. Worship or worthship was to be designed to only be sent in his direction only. Exodus 15, 11 says, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? One commentator I read this week put it this way. In light of God's infinite worth, infinite glory, no earthly comparison can do justice to the offense generated by giving worship to anything or any person besides God. Only two categories of entities exist in the biblical universe, creator and created. And these two are separated by an infinite gulf of worth or glory. Chris Tomlin is right. We are made to worship. And when God is moved out of that space, we will fill it. 
So how do we become thankful people? Well, in conclusion, we become thankful people by recognizing our need. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's recognizing that I am needy. I was needy and I still am. That except for God, I would have destroyed myself. And if it were not for him, I would be headed straight to hell. That my victory is in Jesus, it's not in me. That if left up to me, I am one impatient, angry, prideful, pitiful person. And by the way, you are too. The Jesus prayer with its origin dating back to the monastic desert fathers of the 5th century goes something like this. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In some traditions, they would talk about how they would say that prayer 40 times a day. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, I see who I am. I see what I've done, but I see what you've done for me. And so my recognition of you and who you are is now followed by what? Is now followed by action. Let's finish it. Verse 58, what does Paul continue to say? Acting on what we have recognized, Paul continues, therefore, my dear brothers, you're thanking him, that's great. You're recognizing it's victory in him that makes you be able to walk these steps. I get it, that's great. Now, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So I worship and I focus on God and I love what God loves and I hate what God hates and I give back to God and I am about his work. And what I don't say is, I don't say, what a feed the hunger, check. God's gonna be happy with me for the next 90 days. I have bought him off. He's got a big stinking smile on his face. Look at what I did for God. Instead, it's, okay, feed the hunger today. I'm gonna wake up tomorrow morning and I'm gonna say, God, How can I bless you? God, by my life, how can I put it? By how I relate to my wife and my kids and by my neighbor, with my neighbors and with my work associates. And God, just how can I put a smile on your face today, God? How can I bless you? What are the results? I think it's pretty simple. What you do is you just take the four bullet points that we started the sermon with and you reverse them. When we are thankful people, our lives of worship to God are renewed. Anybody ever have the cable go out? You're like, oh, come on. The game, come on. And then boom, it comes back and it's like, oh. (laughs) I think... It doesn't have to be. I think, we, I think sometimes we almost choose not to turn around and go back to God because we just think turning around is going to take so long. It's like, I don't, oh, I don't it's going to be years before I can get turned around. And God's like, well, you just turn around. Because when you turn around, worship is restored. 
You know, you're smiling because you know you've thought it before. It's like, oh, I've walked too far. I've done too much. It's going to take so long. God knows so much. He knows it all. Why would he ever? How could he ever? And that keeps us still walking in the wrong direction. Just turn around. And the connection is restored. What a beautiful, awesome, wonderful God we serve. Restoring us with repentance, confession, and our worship. The signal is found. We are thankful people. Our lives begin to bear fruit. We're no longer living useless and ineffective and fruitless lives, right? And then finally, we are thankful people. Others are changed by God's love flowing through us. Because now our worship is sent to our creator and not the created And we begin to see how God is positioning us to be used for his glory as he uses us to build his kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God. That is my prayer. One last verse. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. But thanks be to God who always puts us on display in Christ and through us spreads the aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. God, I want to be that aroma. I know I am in your will when that happens. I want to be in your will, God. I want to be in your plan. For how you show yourself off to my family and my kids and my wife and my Oswald Chambers wrote these words, the thing that awakens the deepest well of gratitude in a human being is that God has forgiven sin. When once you realize all that it cost God to forgive you, you will be held as in a vice, constrained by the love of God. So, so what do you do with that? I mean, I... I would make a suggestion that maybe you figure out a way to wake up every day and give him thanks for something. Make sure that gratitude kicks off the next 12 to 15 hours of your life. I think, if nothing else, one of the things I'm quite sure it will do is it will reduce the complaining. Because we so often, don't we, replace thankfulness with complaining. I wonder why. I wonder if maybe it's because in our complaints, the anchor to that is pride. Because I've been mistreated. Because I didn't get what I thought I deserved. Because I, and all of a sudden, my focus points to him. And now, oh, wait a minute. This day looks different. Got cancer from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet but this day looks different I can't even begin to imagine that but if it were to happen tomorrow that's the way I want to be I want you to close your eyes for a minute and just ask God God am I living <laughs> in connection with you is there anything that's broken that connection Corporate worship is an amazing time. 
Because for whatever reason, God's chosen us to live in these moments and worship in these moments with an acute sensitivity to his spirit, almost like no other. What did he say tonight? Maybe thankfulness is clued in for you. You feel good. You are right where you need to be. You've got a journal of a million thanksgivings that you are adding to every day. Maybe what God has said to you is, well done. Don't give up. Tomorrow, add another one. Father, thank you for reminding us once again that it's all about you. That God, it's not about our efforts. It's not about how many boxes get packed. It's not about beating a record of previous boxes packed. It's not about how many good things we can chalk up on the chalkboard for 2013 personally or as a church. It's not that all of a sudden by 13 things that we do today, we're going to make you happy and you're going to give us a pass for the rest of the year. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. In humility, I come before you. And say, I don't deserve what you have done. But God, may my life be an offering. God, may everything that I do just exude a thankful heart for your son, for my salvation, for the canceled debt that I deserved to pay. God, 